my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy, hey, and hello there. Welcome to another episode of Weird Finance, where we try to help you feel a little less weird about money, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Paco DeLeon, and on this week's episode, I'm chatting with Jen Smith and Jill Sirianni. So when I think about being frugal, I'm immediately taken back to those years when I was just starting my career, and it was the Great Recession, and I was struggling financially. I've equated the word frugal with that time in my life, and I think it's time to uncouple those things. At least that's what I learned in this conversation with Jen Smith and Jill Sirianni, the hosts of the Frugal Friends podcast. In this episode, Jen and Jill share their stories of how and why they live frugal lifestyles and how their relationship to frugality has changed over the years. They also do a great job of debunking a bunch of misconceptions most of us have, including myself, about being frugal. I hope this episode inspires you to embrace a bit more frugality in your life. Jen Smith and Jill Sirianni, thank you so, so much for joining me here on the Weird Finance Podcast. Thanks for having us, Paco. It's so good to be here. Thanks. Guys, I don't know if you have heard about the first money trend of 2024, but it is your year. 
the the newest trend I've heard about is called loud budgeting. Have you heard this? Loud budgeting? No. I've heard several trends that I'm in love with, but I'm about, I think I'm about to hear another one. I love the word loud. Yeah, I think, please. So some TikToker, of course, was doing a in and out list, right? What is in for 2024, out for 2023. And one of the things he said was what is out is quiet luxury and what is in is loud budgeting. And the way that they described loud budgeting was loud budgeting is sneaking candy into a movie theater. Loud budgeting is declining to go out to dinner to save money, not because you can't afford it, just because you don't want to spend the money. And he says loud budgeting is rich people hate spending money energy. So with that being said, tell me how excited you are that loud budgeting is popular because it's your calling card. I'm cautiously optimistic, Paco, <laughs> honestly. I I am critical, honestly. So I, I wanna I wanna dig in. I wanna poke some holes, but at face value, I'm I'm here for people being more intentional, not necessarily taking advantage of people or breaking like tons of rules, but being able to identify your spending and financial boundaries and then implement, even if it means possibly hurting some people's feelings or letting them down, but knowing what is going to be best for you. I'm I'm totally here for that. Yeah, boundaries always cause a, a smidge of friction, and so I'm all here for that. TikTok loves to take a good thing and ruin it. So I I don't love that. But I do love more people being outspoken about, hey, I'm not doing this because I've decided what I value. This isn't it. It's not, I'm not doing it not because I'm broke. I'm doing it because I choose not to. Hell yeah. Okay, so I think maybe I buried the lead. The reason why I'm asking Jen and Jill their opinions on this new trend, loud budgeting, is because they have a podcast called frugal friends where they talk all about frugality, which I'm not going to lie to you guys. When I hear the word frugal, I already feel like I don't want to do that. But we will dig into that a little bit later. First, I would love it if each of you could talk about your journeys into frugality. So Jen, yours started because you realized that it wasn't just about necessity, but it was about being a better steward of your time and resources, which I love the way that you phrased that. Would you mind just talking about how you happened upon this discovery? Yeah. So I was reading uh, the Wikipedia page for frugality, and that's literally really what it says. But the reason I got to the Wikipedia page was my husband and I paid off $78,000 of debt in two years. And we really, I mean, we made less than $80,000 a year during that time. So We weren't super rich. We weren't making a lot. We sacrificed a lot and Mm. we spent bare minimum. And it was miserable. I was miserable. Frugality was truly a means to an end for me. And honestly, I went into the whole journey thinking, I'm not going to change my spending. I'm already buying generic. I'm frugal. I'm fine. So I tried to side hustle my way through. Mm -hmm. And that lasted two months. I got shingles after like overworking, ripe age of 26. And that's when I had to start focusing on my earning and my spending. And the whole two years, I was really viewing it as like what what I can't do, what I can't have, what I have to, when I mess up my budget, what I'm going to feel guilty 
about spending, or even if I'm spending in my budget, still feeling guilty for spending something I budgeted for because it quote unquote should go somewhere else. Hmm. And so I spent two years, probably over two years doing that. And then I lost my job. I was seven months pregnant, lost my job and my health insurance in 2018. And, and that was really the catalyst. We had just started the podcast and, and had a totally different view of frugality. No, I don't even know. Like I lost my job in March. We started the podcast. Okay. We had like recorded two episodes and it started in April and it led me, (laughs) it was this total coinciding. It led me down this path of realizing like, I have to control my spending, but this can't be it. Like this life of deprivation cannot be what it's all about. And that led me to the Wikipedia page of frugality and to the trajectory that Frugal Friends went on. Wow, that's amazing. Jill, yeah. we're going to turn it over to you. And you got a day job. You're a, you're a licensed clinical social worker, trauma counselor, and you just like also run your own remodeling business with your husband. And you were also writing and doing this podcast. So tell me all about your frugality journey and how you became this person sitting before me today. Yeah. Well, I will just say part of that, what you just said in my bio is true, but to varying degrees, each one has kind of ebbed and flowed and eclipsed the other. But yes, all of those things are to some degree a part of my lifestyle currently. But don't worry, I'm still getting my sleep. For me, coming from the field of social work. That is primarily what my career has been in. I've been able to now focus more and more on the podcast, which I'm so grateful for. But as far as my journey to frugality, I would say a lot of my choices and awareness of money and intentionality with it was out of necessity and even degrees of scarcity mindset. I was making $24,000 a year straight out of college in a social work job. And that wasn't that long ago. That was 12 years ago, but still $24,000 was not enough in case you were wondering. And so... I had to make decisions with money that were really scrappy that I do think have served me well, but I am grateful for, as you've described, the journey of frugality and coming to a place now where I'm not necessarily making decisions with money out of necessity, but more understanding of myself, understanding of my values and desiring this. I think I viewed frugality as a means to an end. And someday I'm not going to make $24,000 a year. And thankfully, I am not there. I wouldn't say my financial landscape has changed dramatically. I'm making more than, than I was then, but I'm still making intentional problem-solving decisions, but it's out of this place of embracing this lifestyle, what I have seen it be able to afford me, what I've learned through the process and not wanting to now because I have more, let me over-consume and spend mindlessly. There is still this connection to my behaviors, my money, my choices, my understanding of self that this is where I've come to in frugality. And for me, there's no going back. Like it's not a means to an end. It's a lifestyle I'm now living. I love that. Okay. I feel like because you guys left some of these breadcrumbs, especially you, Jen, I really want to know, I would love examples where you were too frugal or being frugal was like, you know, it backfired. I have, I have examples myself. I'll tell you mine so you get the 
ball rolling. I've always been, especially like 12 years ago, like you, Joe, I was only making $36,000 a year. And so I would do things like buy cheap clothes or buy cheap furniture. And then it, it only happens in retrospect, like 10 years later, you're like, man, I had to buy that shirt over and over again. I had to buy more stupid pieces of crappy furniture than I would have spent had I just invested a bit more money in the piece. So I'm sure you have examples like this. I'd love to hear some. Mm, yes. Uh, identical examples. Actually, I I said to my husband, I was like, this 2024 is my year of affordable quality over cheap quantity. Mm. That is, that's my phrase for the year. Because I, even, even in this journey of like, this started six, eight years ago, six, eight years ago, we, we have been on this journey of stewarding resources well. I still will fall into the scarcity mindset that wants to get the cheapest thing possible because I can't afford a $50 shirt. I have to, you know, go to the clearance rack. I have to go to the fast fashion. So that is something that's like a line I've drawn in the sand for this year. Like, but some of our, some of our like Facebook marketplace, like I'm all, I love buying secondhand because you can find better quality for a more reasonable price. But sometimes we will still fall into the trap of like getting cheap stuff secondhand. So there's this bike that we got our son for Christmas last year and it was a piece of crap and he was never able to ride it. It's just sat in front of our house. So for like rusty a year. and jagged. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah, stuff like that. Just not being, I mean, it really comes out of the, the scarcity like mindset and being willing to buy better quality into, and intentionally buy less. I bought a wedding dress online that said it was going to be a knockoff of, or, or no, it was going to be the exact like replica of this very high end expensive dress that I fell in love with via pictures. And then this company pops up and is like, we can make it for you for a hundred dollars. And I'm like, yes, you can. I believe you. Here's a, you give me no reason not to believe you. Here's a hundred dollars. Granted, I'm broke. Like sure. I got married. I got married young and a long time ago and I did not have a whole lot of money. So I'm thinking I'm going to get the dress of my dreams for $100. And and of course wise people around me are like, "Well, Jill, what are you going to do when inevitably you're disappointed in this dress?" And I'm like, "I'm not thinking that way. This is going to be amazing. But you know what? If I don't like it, I'll borrow my sister's wedding dress and I'll wear her wedding dress on my wedding day." <laughs> The dress came. It was awful. I think there are pictures. There are up pictures on our website on our website we, yeah, we of the dress. This. It yes. was nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Fantastic. And awful. of course, I told myself a lie and everyone else a lie. I was not about to wear my sister's wedding dress. I didn't like her wedding dress. I'm not going to wear that. So then I had to spend hundreds of dollars more to actually get a dress that I liked and then get it tailored. Wah, wah. That's a f- hilarious example. And. <laughs> What trust you put into a random company in 2012? I think it does show you where my mindset was at the time. You're like, Like, I need this. I believe. This is all we can afford. So it's going to be the thing. We Mm -hmm. just believe if the internet sells it, it's going to be good, right? It wouldn't be on the internet. It wouldn't be on Amazon if it wasn't good. It's 2024 and we all know that's a lie. I don't even think Amazon existed then, honestly. 
so oh, long ago. I'm definitely gonna I'm gonna link to the photos of the dress in the show notes because that's too good. <laughs> yes. That's too mm-hmm. too good. Okay, you guys talked a little bit about scarcity, and I want to know: Do you have any tools that help you get out of being in that scarcity mindset? So I love to focus on the so everywhere in personal finance you're like focus on your on your why it'll give you your deeper meaning for like changing your habits and stuff and it like just doesn't work most of the time mm. it's too it's a goal that's like too far away it's too abstract so i think for me i kind of go towards more of like the growth mindset principles but not in like a woo woo way i don't i don't love like affirmations sure. and stuff like that but I do love like the principles of the growth mindset are like very scientifically backed. So like learning, when I do something that I am bad at, I can improve really quickly because there's a lot of room for improvement. So right. like running, I'm a runner, but I'm a very slow runner. So when I make an improvement, like the other day I went for a run and then a week later I went for another same distance run. I shaved a one minute per mile off of my time. Dang. Like. It, and because the time is so slow. Uh, and so when I'm showing myself that I can make changes, it inspires me in other places to that are maybe harder or more important that changes can be made, that what is real now doesn't have to be real indefinitely or forever. It, it can be changed. So I I feel like that would like fixed expenses too. Like it says, okay, my fixed expenses are fixed now, but they're not like set in stone. Nobody's forcing me to pay these fixed expenses. Everything can be changed, could grow up or down. I'm thinking of, I think it's an important place to start with mindset to know what are we thinking about money? I know a lot of times, and I love that you're starting with this question because that's exactly where we should start. But I will say many of us without given a blueprint, will jump to behaviors first of how do I... Okay, tell me how to budget. Tell me how much to save. Give me the percentage breakdown of where all my money should be going, who exactly to invest with, and and we move on. And really our personhoods, our lifestyles, the way we think and move through the world is so much more complex than that. We can find simple ways of doing these things, but we do need to start with that mindset. So I think even being able to identify that it's scarcity can take a lot of time. Like I wouldn't have told you at the beginning, I'm operating out of a scarcity mindset. It was certainly some of my behaviors and whatever was going on in my mind would have told you that. But I think we do have to start with mindset and be curious about ourselves and ask ourselves these questions of how do I feel about money? What sorts of emotions are stirred up when I make a purchase? And even the hours after that purchase, be asking ourselves whatever money questions we can think of out of a place of curiosity. But I don't think that we're we're then then it has to be paired with action eventually. I think we don't really move out of scarcity until we also see that our behaviors and actions are lining up with the changes that we're making in our thought life as well. So it does start there, but then to move it there, we've got to pair it with with behaviors too. Beautifully said, beautifully said, and so true and so annoying that it's true. 
<laughs> yes, I know. Right. I, I would love the, the wand. That'd be great. The mm-hmm. magic wand. That would be really wonderful. But I would like to t- talk a little bit more about practical ways folks can start being frugal. So what do you think is the number one thing somebody could do today to start changing their spending habits and, you know, spending less? Yeah, I think the first thing you have to do is identify what you're spending on. There is nobody can tell you what to spend on, what's good to spend on. Spending is neutral. But you have to look at what you're spending on and determine how you feel about it. What it and how it plays in the role of your actual income. So, we say start with a 90-day transaction inventory and just not to feel guilty or shame about what you spent on for the last 90 days, but to just really look like, what did I spend on on this day? Like, what did I spend on it? What was I looking to get from this coffee purchase or this brunch purchase? And and say, did it get me what I wanted? Did all of these brunches really get me the time, the quality time with my friends that I truly wanted? Or is there something else where I can get that's less crowded and less noisy to get these quality relationships. And then byproduct costs less than brunch. So stuff like that. That's what we're looking for in a 90-day transaction. Like, And then sometimes we'll go on to be like, after that, try a, try a 30-day no-spend challenge where you pick three or four things from what you've identified in your transaction history and say, I'm not going to spend money on these things for one month and see how you can get creative with meeting those needs in different ways and how much decision fatigue lets up on your spending decisions because you're automatically saying no to these spending things and you're and you're disrupting habits and everything. So that's kind of like the most practical way to start spending less money without feeling like you're depriving yourself because you're you're not spending money just to race to the bottom of spending, right? You're you're spending less money so that you get more of what you truly want. As a compliment to what Jen is saying, what this practice is, that what's one thing someone can do, I would add, it's becoming more aware. And so wherever we can create these opportunities to be more aware of ourselves, of the world around us, the decisions that we're making, this 90-day transaction inventory is a phenomenal, tangible thing we can do. But the goal is to become more aware and, and from there, connected. Connected first to ourselves where we know what is my body doing and what is my brain thinking and how is all of this impacting me? Then this is 2.0, you didn't totally ask for, but then it's going to be that connection with others after that. These other pieces are going to come into play that really incorporates our whole personhood because our financial self is not this fractured member of our body over here in the corner that we sometimes look at. It's a part of our whole being. And so where we can become more aware and connected to self is going to be a phenomenal first tangible step towards frugality. And the 90-day transaction inventory is a great place to start. I love this. I love the team that you guys have here where things like Jen is like, let's get down to brass tacks. <laughs> I'm not into woo-woo. This is what's going to work. And Jill, you're like, you know, we're feeling creatures. Mm-hmm. You've, so, na- you've, you've nailed, nailed us. us. Yeah, you've nailed us. Yeah. <laughs> you did. <laughs> 
I like it. It's perfect. It's a, it's a nice match because, yeah, I think sometimes depending on the topic, you know, money is like the most emotional topic. And I think, the you know, it's our job to talk about it and think about it. So I think it's easier for us to be a little bit more analytical. But, you know, I'll talk to people. I'll talk to potential bookkeeping clients or, you know, folks who want to ask me a question. And I can just see their body language. They tense up. And every time they're like, they look like they're about to cry. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a tough subject. So appreciate the the one-two punch of practical and emotional over here. <laughs> yeah, we're just beating people yeah. up. It's just <laughs> one-two, but just twice. With yeah. our brains. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. it. We're we're just now we're done. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Okay, so I, because again, frugality to me is a triggering word, right? It makes me think about a whole bunch of misconceptions. I would love if we can go down my list of misconceptions mm-hmm. people have about being frugal and then you guys can debunk them. Are you down? I love that. We love. We love debunking. Love. <laughs> okay. The first misconception I think a lot of us have about being frugal is that you are depriving yourself. Mm. So there is sacrifice in frugality, but we are sacrificing the things that we don't care about or don't care about as much as the things that we truly care about. So we're, I mean, we've been taught to be consumers first, people second, right? So we are taught by everything around us to want more and more and more. Wanting more makes you smarter. Having more makes you more worthy. And this is all untrue. So yes, we're sacrificing that mentality and what that gets us, but we are getting everything we truly love. Damn, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear the the thing you said that we're taught that wanting more makes us more worthy or smarter. I really needed to hear mm. that. Damn it. We're, we're on the first one and I'm mm. already fucked up. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> the one-two punch. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay. The, the second misconception, being frugal, it just doesn't make that big of a difference. Mm, I want to debunk this one. So we define frugality as being good stewards of all of our resources. So that includes time, energy, natural resources, finances. And so when looked at from that perspective, there's massive impact in our lives, in our community, in the world around us when we're making decisions around our consumption, our waste, our spending, our relationships, our emotional and mental and physical capacities, this intersects and the tendrils are so far reaching as they intersect with one another and have either a beneficial or non-beneficial impact on one another. They all, when, when I make a change physically let's say I'm exercising more regularly, that's going to have an impact on my mental and emotional health as well, usually in a positive direction. That thing works the whole other way too. I experience it when I'm sick, when when my body's not feeling well, emotionally, relationally. Sometimes that's when I feel the most vulnerable with my friendships is when I'm sick in bed. So it's this concept that when we make positive, beneficial, aimed at well-being changes in one area, we're going to see the ripple effects in another area. So it's not just about uh, saving pennies on our drink orders at the cafe. It's about how am I being intentional and stewarding what's been entrusted to me well. And we could go on for days of the positive impact that has. 
I love taking the focus away from just me as an individual and my coins and looking at the greater impact. Like it reminds, every time I go to an island, like my, my parents are from the Philippine islands. So every time I go to an island, like my body responds and I, I feel like I belong there, but then all of a sudden, like my ideas about waste shift suddenly, I think, because when you're on an island and the ocean is surrounding your land, you just have a more thoughtful way of, of, you know, mm. using resources, how much you're taking from the ocean, where your trash goes, because it's, you know, it's going to come up on the shore. So I mm-hmm. like that global perspective. Thank you, Joel. Yeah. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone, the studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, chief marketing and growth officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark, more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, Casey, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was looking through my bank statements for the last few months, and I saw I was being charged for a gym membership that I canceled last year. Oh, no, Teddy. A whole year of fees is a lot of money. You're reminding me why it's so important to check those statements regularly. Little unnoticed charges can add up. I know, right? I just got lazy and assumed everything was automatic and fine. But there it was. Every month, it charged for something I wasn't even using. You know, the other good thing about regularly reviewing your statements is you can also spot any suspicious activities or errors. My mom just spotted a recent charge and the bank took care of it right away. You're so right. From now on, I'm setting aside time each month to go through my statements. I mean, it's my hard-earned money. I need to keep an eye on it. Thanks, Casey. Now I know. Knowing is half the battle. Weird Finance! Weird Finance! Weird Finance! Weird Finance! Okay, this one feels... I can relate to this one I because I don't want to be seen as cheap, you guys. So the misconception is that frugal people are cheap people. Mm. Yeah, the yeah, the misconception frugal people don't tip frugal people buy cheap quality stuff. They just want to they want to take advantage of other people to get the lowest price. Yeah, that's that's a big one that we're looking to debunk because we want frugality to be beneficial to us, but not at the expense of other people. So when we're buying cheap, fast fashion, when we are tipping 10%, when we are buying, you know, the steak when everyone else bought the salad and splitting the bill evenly, like those affect, that is your financial decisions affecting other people negatively. But when we are saying no to going out because it's not in our budget, when we are just choosing to buy sustainable, sustainably and durably made clothing, but buy less of it. When we're doing those things, those are either neutral decisions or they benefit, they have a ripple effect of benefit. And so the difference between frugal and cheap is that frugal is either neutral or beneficial for the people around us. Cheap is at the expense of, always at the expense of people around us and ultimately to ourselves as well. Hmm. You know, going through this list, I think I'm frugal. I've just been denying it. (laughs) Yeah. This is celebratory. (laughs) You heard it here. did it. Because like, for sure, I, this is what I think about, like, I remember when I stopped shopping at Zara, the last moment, mm. the last time I did it was I had a couple of pants and I went into the dressing room. I put them on and I felt them with my hands and I felt them on my body. And I was like, I fucking can't do it. I can't do it. They're going to explode <laughs> in the laundry in two, in two wears. One, they don't feel that great. I can feel the oil inside of the pants. And there's no way that the person who made this is even remotely getting a, a living wage. I wish I could do it, but I can't do it. So thank you for helping me realize that, damn it, I'm frugal. Okay, <laughs> on, to the, on to the next one. When you're frugal, you are limiting your enjoyment of life. 
Oh, contraire. Mm-mm. <laughs> I, I really, I, I know that it seems like we're just wanting to say, nah, 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 <laughs> nah, my dad. hear these so my, often. My dad's bigger than your dad. <laughs> <laughs> but really, it, it, it's, it's so, I can genuinely, authentically say I have experienced the opposite. Again, because we are cultivating an awareness of self and understanding of our values our capacities, and we are looking to spend all of our resources and currency well. I am learning as I learn to spend and steward my money well, I'm learning to spend my emotional, relational, mental resources well also. So that means that I am able to say no to the things that don't matter to me, that I don't actually value, that maybe mindlessly I previously thought I did. I'm getting closer to what actually brings me joy? What what makes me light up? And I can lean into those things. I can create a spending plan for those things. I can do more of those things because I've learned what I don't care for. I've been able to cut that out and really lean into and embrace the things that do bring me enjoyment. So it is the opposite of deprivation. Now, there are times that it does come with sacrifice. For certain financial goals, I have had to make sacrifices, but I will not say that it has been utter and complete deprivation and it has not been for the long term. And at this point, what brings me enjoyment is spending time with friends, hosting people in my home, traveling, gardening. I get to do all of those things. Like I've learned what I love and I get to do all of that. What doesn't bring me joy is needing to have two vehicles, luxury vehicles, high-end clothing, name brand this or that. I truly just don't like it. If I did like it, I'd create space for it in my spending plan. People absolutely can do that. But I've, I've been able to say no to these other things and really live a life of enjoyment because of frugality, in the midst of frugality. I love that. Yeah. No, I, like when I think about my brokest times, they were also some of the most wonderful times because I was just forced to, you know, find find ways that I can connect with my community that's joyful or get really good at something like, and, you know, Jen, you're mentioning running. I think like when you find yourself able to grow where you're struggling in like a controlled, non-dramatic way, you get the most enjoyment out of it. So yeah, I mean really corny and the people say it all the time like oh the best things in life are free but like i really do just sometimes want to sit down with my guitar for an hour and tinker around and make noise and that is you know sometimes more meaningful than you know buying something that i know that it's going to end up being donated to goodwill in the long run because mm-hmm. you're frugal paco we learned this <laughs> I'm out of the closet, guys. I'm frugal. <laughs> yes. Okay. We feel so honored to be We're entrusted so sorry to with put this. You on the spot, like on on radio. Yeah, you outed me on. So it's glad. good. It's all good. We're, <laughs> it's, it's, We're so glad you can experience this freedom now. <laughs> thank you, team. Okay, let's go with one more. the The last misconception is that frugality is only for people that are financially strained. You know what? We hear this sometimes, but. What we hear even more is that frugality is only for rich people. What? And yeah, so that only rich people can afford to buy durable products, to, you know, buy sustainable, can afford to take the time to figure out ways to save money. And I think sometimes we we get the misconception that frugality is for people who are are financially strained because 
again, people think they have to have more to be worthy. They have to have more to be smart. So we get that. But practically, we see a lot of people saying like, I don't have time to plan in advance. I don't have the capacity to think about saving money in certain ways because of the financial strain. And so that's where frugality looks different for different people, right? And this one, I would say, would be the closest to being a... I mean, it's still a myth. Don't get me wrong. Frugality is a lifestyle, and you can be a good steward of all of your resources, even if money is one of the resources that you don't have as much of. Time is one of the resources you don't have as much of. You can still... You can always pursue being a good steward of your resources. It's just in this one, we have to look at the season that we're in. And we want to be content in our season. We want to have gratitude without being complacent. We want to be pursuing increasing our income and figuring out the biggest money drains on our finances. Sometimes we can't control those financial drains a lot. We know with health problems and stuff, like sometimes those are just the seasons that we're in. Sometimes they're long-term, sometimes they're short-term. But knowing that your, your season and your financial capacity doesn't dictate you being all in on frugality or all out. It doesn't mean you have to do it, and it doesn't mean you cannot do it. There's somewhere in the middle for you to practice. And not a lot of people talk about that, so we call it the radical middle. But it's, it's finding your radical middle of frugality. It's like, what are the things maybe I can't afford to buy the $50 shirt. Maybe I truly cannot afford to buy a $50 shirt for my kid for, you know, school uniform. And I have to do the fast fashion, but there's something else that I can choose that's within my values that I can be a better steward of. I love it. Wow. I I guess I'm entering into my frugal era, my frugal season, y'all. Mm, and mm. I will say I'm that for, for this year, one of the reflections that I've had is I do want to aim for less. And I've been like really struggling with my identity and people's ideas about me and how much I put out from a content perspective and all of that. So it's really nice to be chatting with folks who understand how to like walk that path, but you're also incredibly productive people. You guys are also working on a book together. So yeah, thinking about Frugality and time as a resource is really, really apropos for me at the moment. Mm. Now, before I let you two uh, go, first, I want to say I've loved this conversation. I feel so different about frugality, and I hope all the listeners do as well. Before I let you folks go, I want to hit you both with some rapid-fire questions about your your own finances. Mm. Yes. Okay. okay, so what's the one thing you've purchased that has had the biggest positive impact on your daily life? Mm, the RV. I'll go first. Mm. My husband and I purchased an RV, lived in it for a couple of years, renovated it, sold it for a profit, which was awesome. And the sale of that allowed me to cash flow my master's degree. And that has had ongoing ripple effects. We no longer live in that RV, but that was a great decision for us. I love that. Mm. There, there are so many things, but I, the first thing that popped into my mind was the, our minivan. I am, I'm a minivan millennial <laughs> and I can literally push buttons on my key. The doors open and my, like, I don't have to fumble around with doors anymore. 
I, I don't know why that that's such a big deal to me, but it has, it saves me a lot of stress moving. I just, I only have two kids. It's not like I have a huge brood, <laughs> but they're still stressful for me. <laughs> You're outnumbered so, already. Right. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> yeah. So that's made my daily life easier for sure. Beautiful. What's one piece of advice, financial or otherwise, that you'd give to your younger self? Mm. That financial aid is real money. Oh, You're signing yeah. up to owe real money back and suck it up, Jill, and go to that community college. Mm-hmm. You're undeclared. You don't know what you want your major to be. Go to community college. Who cares what your friends will think? I really feel you talking to your younger self in that <laughs> Oh, one. yeah. I love this it. Is how, this is how we talk. I love it. Yeah. Mine would be time is a construct. Ooh. Like when I was 25, I thought five years was so mm. long. I know. I thought 10 years was so long. And so I, I wouldn't make paying off my debt a goal because I just thought it would take too long. And now that I'm in my 30s, like five years is nothing. Like it's, it goes by so fast. So as long as you are paying attention to, you know, not living under a rock, you know, for that whole time, you don't have to make a full 180 on your life to reach a goal in a reasonable time span. Baby steps, right? hmm Okay. Did you folks happen to have any financial superstitions growing up? I do now. I don't know. <laughs> yes. I don't know growing up, but now... Paco, you're getting everything. <laughs> I don't even think you know about that. Don't I'm sure I don't. <laughs> I don't know if this is considered a superstition, but literally, anytime my husband and I are out in public, like we're getting out of the car in a parking lot, I will say one of two things: either where's this money I was promised, or keep an eye out for money on the ground. <laughs> like I, I, he, can, he can vouch for me. Like it's it's a constant phrase. Just like if we find ourselves in a parking lot or walking along the road, like where's this money I was promised? Like there should be money laying on the ground <laughs> for me. I don't know what this, I, I, I don't know where her, this came from. I asked her yesterday, how's your no spend January going? She's like, I found $5. <gasps> and nice. I found $5 literally a couple of days ago. I'm like, there it is. There's the money I was promised. Also, another time I was angry about needing to clear debris out of the alleyway, which really is the, our neighbor's responsibility behind each of their houses, but they don't use it. So they don't do it. This is, along. But I'm like, I should get paid for this. I'm doing something (laughs) that they should be doing. And you know what, Paco? Five bucks. Five bucks right there There in the alley on the ground for me. So it's working. I know Jen doesn't believe in woo-woo, but Jill, it's working for you. It is. Where's this money? I was promised. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it does work for the people that do it. Maybe. You got to believe. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. <laughs> what about you, Jen? We're learning. We're all learning. So I I was taught like all growing up, the stock market is bad. Don't put any money in the stock market. Because mm. my grandmother one time <laughs> put $2,000 into penny stocks and like lost it all immediately. That's a lot and of money. so nobody in my family invests. Nobody. Damn. Yeah. Right. And I, it took me listening to like podcasts like Stacking Benjamins and Afford Anything to to change that 
I don't know if that was a superstition, but I mean, like, yeah, it, it's a belief, which a lot mm-hmm. of superstitions come from if this, then that, right? If you put your money in the stock mm-hmm. market, then you'll lose it. Wait, so have you convinced your family to invest? No. Yes. Okay. Yes. My mom now has a 401k. And actually my cousins, I think at least one of them is in, like, is a financial advisor. I don't know if the other one is, but I think they like both work in finance. That's awesome. Then so Christmas time, yeah. you can just harass everybody, make sure they, they got their IRAs mm-hmm. set up. Yeah. I think my uncle uses insurance as an investment vehicle, but you know, you got to start somewhere. Baby steps. Yeah. Baby exactly. steps. Okay. <laughs> Last one. And we've already touched on a hilarious example of this. So <laughs> if you don't have another fumble, that's, it's all good. But tell me, do you have any financial fumbles that you can look back on and laugh at? Yes, I do. So I spent years as a financial journalist writing mostly about retirement and the fire movement. And when I got laid off from my full-time writing job as a retirement writer, I had a 401k. And I was like, everyone, you've got to roll over your 401k into an IRA and don't forget to invest it. And the biggest mistake people make is they just, they put money into their IRA and they don't invest it. And oh no, so I feel where this is I going. I rolled over my 401k into my IRA and then I had a baby and then I forgot about everything. And I look a year later and I realized that I never invested the money that I rolled over. I blame the baby. Oh yeah, we still blame mm-hmm, the baby. Mm-hmm, we, all, mm-hmm. we will always uh, he, blame the baby. That baby owes you big <laughs> time. Yeah. And so, the, and I was like, I was so embarrassed. I was like, I, I can't, I, no. It's, yeah, mine was, mine's very similar and I'll share it because I think our vulnerability will help people not make the same mistakes. But while doing this podcast, Jen helped me to realize that I need to have a Roth IRA. I've never worked a traditional job where they've offered a 401k. So this is like, this is my only option. And so I'm like, all right, I'm finally going to do it. I'm doing it. I put the money in. I did it. And then I'm starting to hear people talk about the number one mistake people make is that they don't actually pick their investments and tell the money where it needs to go. And I'm like, I don't know if I've done that. It, I probably sat on that question for months and months until I finally worked up the courage to be like, Jen, can you take a look at this? She's like, yeah, you weren't. Nope. Like two years, you didn't... It, you were not making money. Um but there you go. Community vulnerability are important mm-hmm. and you actually need to tell your money where to go once you open the account. Yeah. Nobody is above forgetting to hit a couple buttons. I appreciate you guys sharing this fumble because it is a common one. But I will say it's annoying. It's annoying that yeah. there isn't more oversight, right? There aren't more lifeguards <sighs> at the pool saying like, hey, we got your mm-hmm. money, but you have to do certain things. As an example of really good automation and technology that is actually, in my opinion, not really used for good. You know how when you go online shopping and you put things in your cart and then you see the light and you're like, Oh my gosh, I don't yeah. need this. And then abandoned you, cart sequences. We need abandoned cart sequences for people's IRAs. Somebody make oh, that, please. You're right. Love that. So simple. Love yeah. that. Yeah, everyone's like, I'm going to make a Bitcoin index fund. Who's making an abandoned cart <laughs> sequence for your for your IRAs? Gosh. You're brilliant. welcome, world. You're welcome, world. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good thing you'll probably never see. 
Oh, <laughs> uh, well, where can the fine folks listening along, where can they find you guys online? Frugalfriendspodcast.com. We've got a newsletter that we put out every three days a week, each one with a different theme, either freebies you can get that week, savings tips, money mindset hacks. And we also put out two episodes a week, Tuesday and Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on the iHeart Network, just like you, Paco. So if someone's listening to you, they could absolutely listen to us if they want. Jen and Jill, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for coming on the Weird Finance Podcast. Thanks for having us, Paco. It's been a blast. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of MoviePhone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. 
Thank you again for listening to Weird Finance. If you like the show, please express that like by giving us a positive review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out a lot. And if you'd like to receive even more content from me, you can sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Nerd Letter. Each week, I'll send you a short email of things I've read and recommend. Sign up for it at thehellyagroup.com. Here we are at the end of another episode of Weird Finance, an iHeartMedia production, and just would not be possible without the help of many wonderful, caring, hardworking, and talented folks like my producer, Ramsey Yunt. He produced, edited, did some sound design, and he even sang a little bit on this episode. And thank you so much to Ramsey Yunt and Andrew Howard for lending their voices for this week's PSA. Our theme song was written and performed by me and my dear, dear friends, Jenna Parker and Andrew Parker. If you have any comments, questions about money, suggestions, or you want to be a part of the show, give us a call at 833-ASK-PACO. That's 833-275-7226. Or send us an email at weirdfinancepod at gmail.com. That's it. We'll catch you here next week. In the meantime, take care. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.